0: But the next time you have to say no to your child for play, take a deep breath and say, I'm saying no to play because it is what's best for them and what's best for me right now, and that is okay.
1: This is the Curious Neuron podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Welcome back to the Curious Neuron podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington and I'm your host. And if you are new here, welcome. I am a mom of three and I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience. What I try to do with this podcast is to bring in experts to have conversations that will help teach us, including myself, how we could create the best environment for our children. And what I like to do on my end is bring in some of the research that I could find. If you'd like to learn more about the research, I do summarize this more in detail on our website at curiousneuron.com and on Instagram at curious underscore neuron. And I actually have some really exciting news for you. Um, For those of you who have been following me, you know that I started Curious Neuron over five years ago as a blog, and I just wanted to share the information, the science of parenting that I was reading, and I just wanted to share it with all of you. Um, that led to a company being created. That was not my intention. Um, but I do now work with um, a lot of companies, uh, from around the world, actually. And we are a team of 10 and we create some documents for them. We help them create products and a huge part of the companies we work with create apps. Now, one of the companies that I was working with for a few months now, um, I was just completely head over heels with this company. It is an app that helps kids um, with emotion regulation skills and mindfulness. And as you know, this is a really big part of what I teach here at Curious Neuron. I cover parenting behaviors and child development and behaviors, but everything often falls within emotion regulation skills. Um, And this company in particular really met my own values and my, you know, fit the knowledge that I had on, on emotion regulation skills. And I was like, wow, I can't believe that somebody created this. It's amazing. And, you know, luckily enough, um, through conversations with the founder of this company, um, things kind of changed for me and I'm so proud and, and happy to announce that I am the new co-founder of WonderGrade. One degree understands that when it comes to your child's emotion regulation skills, it's not only about their skills, it's about yours as well. So we wanna make sure that we support your entire family in developing the right tools and skills so that your child will thrive later on when it comes to their emotions. And you know that developing emotion regulation skills helps with their relationships, helps them in school, helps with their mental health. So this is such a big part. And now I can take all this knowledge and turn it into different activities for you on this app. We have audio clips every single Sunday. There's a new parent play that comes out in the parent center of the app so that this information is easy for you to listen to. You get um, a sort of activity that you can do that week and that. Everything is always there to help you and your child develop these emotion regulation skills. The fun part of this app too is that there's a reset button and this reset button is, you know, in those moments when you feel like you're going to lose it or you're going to scream and you wish you just had somebody to place that hand on your shoulder or that gentle voice, that guidance to remind you that this moment is hard and it's not about you. You haven't failed as a parent. It's, it's, Just a moment and it'll pass, and you just want somebody to remind you to breathe. Well, now with the WonderGrade app, all you have to do is press the reset button. Put your headset on. If your children are having this chaotic moment and you feel like you've lost control, you just have to tune into this two minute audio um, and it helps you just breathe and come back to yourself and remind yourself that this will pass and everything will be okay. I could not be any prouder of being part of this uh, company and Christy and her team have created this amazing character, this beautiful yog that is just so gentle and kind and helps your children learn how to take deep breaths and helps them how to develop mindfulness skills, which we know in research are really important for your kids. Now you don't have to worry about how to do this. You just have to log on to the Wonder Grade app. I will put the the link in the show notes. You get a two-week trial. I really encourage you to test it out for two weeks and, and see if your child is starting to use the vocabulary around, you know, um, emotions and how they're feeling, and asking you for help. And if you are feeling a little bit more confident in those moments where there's usually chaos, but your mind is now calm. Um, thank you to Christy for, for opening the doors to me. And I cannot believe that, that I am part of this amazing company now. And I promise all of you, I will continue listening to what you want and need as parents, especially around emotion regulation skills, because I know that these skills are important for your child. And I will be here to guide you through Curious Neuron with information and through WonderGrade um, as your tool. Before we discuss today's topic, which is all about boredom, I do want to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a review. And if you're not following us on Instagram yet, please do so at curious underscore neuron. You can read our blog posts on our website at curiousneuron.com. And on our website, you can also join research studies from around the U.S. and Canada, and you could visit our academy if you're looking for some courses or PDFs to help you with parenting. And as always, everything has research links and and the sources from science because that's what we're all about. Today, I'm interviewing somebody who I've been following for a long time now, and if you don't know the word busy toddler, if you don't know who this person is, then you need to jump onto Instagram or her website because this person is somebody that will help you come up with really easy activities for your kid. And it's kind of ironic that we're going to talk about boredom. But before we begin, please let me introduce you to our guest today, Susie Allison, who is the creator of Busy Toddler. She has more than 1.7 million followers on Instagram. She's also a former kindergarten and first grade teacher with a master's in early childhood education. Susie shares ideas and tips on playing, learning, and parenting that she's developed through years, Of experience as a teacher and a parent. I could not be more excited to speak with her today. And the topic of boredom is something that has blown up on my personal account on Curious Neuron. Every time I post about this, everybody has tons of questions. When do I begin? How do I do this? What if my child doesn't like being bored and they whine and they cry and they're uncomfortable? And that makes me uncomfortable. So we're going to make sure that we cover all of this today in our conversation. Enjoy the interview. I'll see you on the other side. Hi, Susie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I've been excited to speak with you for a long time now. And I love that we connected on the topic of boredom (laughs) because, you know, you're a busy toddler and you've taught me how to keep my kids busy. And I teach parents how to, you know use play to help their child with, with you know, support their development. So it's kind of interesting that we're both talking about boredom today, but it's a really important topic.
0: No, it is. And the irony is not lost on me. I'm so here for this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Perfect. First, uh, I introduced you at the beginning, but I just
1: wanted to say thank you on behalf of everybody. You know, I put this little question box and said, what questions do you have around boredom? And there were a few questions, but most of them were, can you please tell Susie I love her? And all her activities have have helped me so much. So So I needed to say that because there were at least like 30 something of those messages. So I needed to tell you, um, but you have helped so many of us, including myself with the three kids and you make it easy. And I'm one of those moms now that had always, always had one like or two sheets of those dot stickers wherever (laughs) I went and they they saved me. So thank you for the work that you do.
0: Oh, it's all my (laughs) pleasure. It really is. What I get to do is such a joy and it just fills my spirit so much and then just. Getting to hear back from people about it really is Mm. the icing on the cake. Mm. I
1: love that. So let's get into this topic of boredom. First, what are your thoughts on boredom? Because like I said at the beginning, you have taught us to keep our kids busy. So (laughs) do you believe in boredom? (laughs) And how do you balance that?
0: (laughs) I sure do believe in boredom. (laughs) You know, one of the things I like to joke about is that while I do post these activities, the activities are more for parents, not necessarily as boredom busters. And actually boredom busters is one of my most hated terms. So like other people, it's like moist or my sister hates the word complimentary. For me, it's boredom buster. I hate the phrase boredom buster because I don't want to bust their boredom because in boredom, as you know, lies the secret to so much goodness in childhood that I don't ever want to take that away. So while I am the activities queen, you know, that's what I've been told. (laughs) You are. Yeah. (laughs) I I use activities not to help my kids not to be bored. I use them as tools when I need help. If the kids are fighting or play, maybe is it going well, or I'm desperate to drink my coffee or I need to hit the reset button on Mm -hmm. our day. That's when I reach for an activity. I don't reach for an activity and I consciously don't reach for an activity. If I hear my child say I'm bored. I don't. And I make a very clear definition that I'm not going to do that with my kids. I'm not here to rescue you out of boredom. And I know we're going to talk a lot about that, but I'm not Mm -hmm. here to be their boredom savior. I'm here to help keep our ship running smoothly and help fill them with all sorts of amazing skills and strategies to develop in their lives and learning to cope with boredom is one of the most important skills that we can give to our kids. Mm. Life is inherently boring. <laughs> there are <laughs> parts is. of life that are just inherently boring. Mm. And if we try to kind of bowl over that with our kids or avoid that with them, mm. we end up causing actual problems in the long run that they're going to run into. And, and you know that as well as anyone. Mm. So yeah, while while I might have all these activities at my disposal, it doesn't mean I'm using them ever for the dreaded boredom buster.
1: And I think that that's a really big misconception around all this because there have been a lot of parents through throughout the past few years that I've been doing this that come to me and ask me, you know, or have guilt around the fact that sometimes they're not enjoying certain activities that they're doing with their child or they don't like play necessarily with young kids or they tell me that they run out of ideas, you know, throughout the day. And that's where I tell them you need to include, you know, a balance of playing with your child or stepping away or creating activities like like you have taught us, you know, with the sensory bins, it's it's not about filling up the entire day. So it's not like 10 o'clock is a sensory bin. 1030 is, you know, another activity, 11 o'clock, whatever it is. But I think there's a really big, big misconception around all this and it places a lot of stress on new parents.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think hmm. the role of the facilitator of the child's life is something that we have glommed onto in this parenting generation that didn't happen in the previous generations. Mm -hmm. They didn't see themselves as entertainment facilitators, the way that we see ourselves as that. And I'm not hundred percent sure where that came from or how we kind of shifted. And maybe it is just because we were one of the first generations to really choose to get to have children and at what time and all these other, you know, really interesting cultural factors about parenting in our, in our generation. But it is very interesting that we have chosen to walk down this road of being these entertainment facilitators. Mm-hmm. And really by doing that, we've taken away the ability for our children then later in life to be their own entertainment facilitators or their own you know, guides in life and to build their resilience and, and all these deep cognitive skills that we want them mm-hmm. to develop. We end up accidentally removing by taking on that role.
1: Yeah. And I think also we like to fill in these moments of boredom or these voids of something where, you know, it's either during the car ride or waiting at a doctor's office or, um, you know, just different situations where we can become uncomfortable because our child is uncomfortable and we're mm-hmm. able to fill that in now with screen time. And I, I don't want to like put screen time down because there are moments where we need to step back as a parent and take a breath. But Absolutely. I think that those periods, those, those dull periods, we become uncomfortable as well. And I, I think back to my own childhood, I was raised like at my grandparents' house and my grandmother was alone with me and she would basically throw me outside and say, I'll see you at lunchtime. <laughs> and I mean it was like 8 a.m and it was like come back at 11 when it's lunchtime and I would be in the backyard by by myself most of the time and had you know I'd have to figure out what to do and we've kind of removed that a little bit from or actually a lot we've removed that a lot from kids because we're also scheduling scheduling a lot of activities in terms of like sports and instruments or whatever it is um so their days are not what they used to be when we were younger
0: yeah we've gone from kind of every previous generation growing up in a very child-led childhood into now we have this very parent-led childhood where we want to be responsible for their enrichment and their engagement and their future happiness and their successes. And we do all that by adding in all these extra bits because We want their life to be quantified. We want to make sure that we can see the data. And if the data says that we've done X, Y, and Z to get them to this final outcome, then we've been quote unquote successful as parents. But if we go back to that child-led idea where we can let kids learn naturally and learn through play and learn through their own experiences... That puts us in the back seat and that becomes a really uncomfortable position for a lot of parents because we want to make sure that we're guiding, molding, and driving our kids into the right paths. Mm. But what we accidentally do is we're pushing them maybe into a path that isn't the best Mm. for their development and that that child-led one would have been or could have been the the much better path. And and like you said, we do, we end up scheduling and and over-scheduling all of their time to where they lose the ability to self-entertain and to, and to find their own way. And when a child becomes very overscheduled and their life is very scripted, then that's where I feel like we see those kids particularly getting the most bored because they haven't had that ability to learn the skills that they would have otherwise learned for the moments when they are free and they are in free time. Then they come back and say, "Well, I need something to do because I'm used to you giving me the answer. I'm used to having an adult telling me what to do. I'm used to this very structured time." So then the idea of an unstructured time becomes very scary and and very stressful for those children. And mm-hmm. we don't we don't want to see that and we don't need to see that. Kids know what they should they know inherently how to play and entertain. We just have to allow that to blossom. How did that look
1: like in your home? Let's start off with first child when they were babies, because one of the common questions I had received today was, you know, when do we start this? How do we introduce boredom? So how did how did the day look like in your home with your first child?
0: With my first child, I was very lucky very early on to recognize that he was self-entertaining all the time and that mm. this was something I wanted for him. And so I would watch him on his playmat and I would see that he was staring up at the little playmat mirror And I go, oh, that's so cute. I'm not going to interrupt that Hmm. because just like an adult doesn't want to be interrupted in a conversation, a child doesn't want to be interrupted when they're in the middle of whatever it is that they're very engaged (laughs) and focused on. So I would watch him on his mat and I would watch him with like a little block or a rattle or something and I would just be quiet and Hmm. I would let him be there in that moment by himself and and like you said i think that that's something that people think that self entertaining and independent play and being alone with your thoughts is something that <laughs> develops much later in yeah. life but really it it starts the day they come home from the hospital hmm. you can let them be at one with the world and with themselves they can sit and look in a mirror they can look out the window if you see them being thoughtful on the changing table just you know you don't need to ask them what they're doing you can just let them breathe and let them be and let them look and engage. And so often we want to, again, we want to interject ourselves and give ourselves something to do and and make sure that we're doing everything possible when really by not doing anything, you're doing maybe the best thing you could be doing in that moment.
1: And, you know, it's interesting the way that we're kind of programmed now is that the more we do, the more productive we are, the better it is for us, right, as adults. And something I had learned with my kids, by the time I had my second one and we would would go out and take walks and they would stop and, you know, pull some grass or, you know, find a little dandelion or pick up a rock. And my brain was almost programmed to say, let's go, let's continue, let's move on through our walk, we need to get home And then I had to stop myself and say, I know there's I have nothing to do (laughs) when I get home. It's just a walk. Why am I rushing them? And and I was almost uncomfortable with that moment of just being there and waiting and being present. But they're comfortable with it. They're good at this. This is what they do. They explore. And you're right. We have to step back a little bit and get comfortable with that.
0: And their brains need time to explore. You know, Mm -hmm. our brains move much faster than theirs and theirs needs a second. Mm -hmm. It needs, you know, and and the teacher world and education where we call it wait time. They need wait time. They need time to process, sit Mm -hmm. and think. Whereas we recognize immediately it's a dandelion and I'm good to go. They (laughs) need a couple of seconds to take that in, to imprint that, to make the mark, to touch it, to feel it, to experience Mm -hmm. it. And then they're ready to go. And it isn't going to be on our timeline. And that again, goes back to this kind of child-led lifestyle that we have to slow down. Mm -hmm. We are in such a rush and it isn't to you know to put us down and to say oh you know we're we're ruining them, <laughs> but but it is to say we we can learn from them to experience mm-hmm. things a lot slower and a lot more deeply, and then we can also give them the gift of this kind of time to make their mark and make their impressions and do whatever their brain needed to do in that moment, and then we can look for the cues that that they're ready to go. You know, I would look for cues on the play mat then that my son was starting to maybe fuss or move, and I say oh he's you know he's done, and now it's time for me to to scooch a little closer so he knows that I'm right there with him. And, and then now him and I can engage and have our little baby babble conversations. And then <laughs> when, you know, when the next time comes and I notice he's engaged, I can scoot back again and let him have those minutes. So I, I think there's a lot about, like you said, just noticing those cues mm-hmm. in kids and then cultivating that it's good to stop. It's good to sit. It's good to just be.
1: I'm I'm putting myself in the shoes of a parent who's listening and perhaps they have a child who's a toddler at this point and they, maybe this parent didn't realize that they had to notice those cues and they were filling in those voids and those gaps. Now they have a toddler who is uncomfortable, perhaps, being alone and in that boredom. What can a parent do at this point to kind of reintroduce it or support them to develop this?
0: I think one of the best things you can do is to frame it around independent play and to really just start small with with their growth in independent play because independent play is essentially in itself the child finding a way out of boredom because they're finding something to do with their time. And what I would recommend doing from toddler age on is to get yourself a visual timer, kind of like an oven clock Mm -hmm. where you can turn that timer and say, hey, you're going to play for the next five minutes, but you need to show them what five minutes looks like because to a toddler, that might as well be Mm -hmm. five years. (laughs) Show them what that looks like on this little timer and then ask of them to play by themselves while you do something. Make yourself busy. You're doing the laundry. You're unloading a dishwasher. You're making dinner so that you're occupied in a job and they're occupied in a job. You can still see each other. Maybe you're in the same room together. Maybe you've moved the blocks in the kitchen. But you're building this five minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Because I think, especially in the toddler years, we want to bite off then a lot more <laughs> than yeah. we can cue. And we say, well, we've got to do this. So I'm going to, you know, we're going to go for an hour tomorrow. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> no, we're not. No, <laughs> five. truly, if you can start with five minute increments mm-hmm. of having the child play without you entertaining them and being involved in the play, that's, that's your road to getting the child to find their way out of boredom and to live a much more self-entertainment entertained, child-led life.
1: And I've learned along the years that sometimes taking – the two extra minutes or five extra minutes yourself as a parent to sit down with them and get them started on something. Sometimes it helps because you've started pretend play and they're continuing something or whatever it is with the sensory bin, but it does help to kind of guide them sometimes if they do need it, almost like a pre to your five minutes and and just being there with them. Um, But I think also the activities that you offer are really great because they're something new, right? Something novel is exciting for a child. So they want to explore different things and you don't necessarily want to have a million toys in your house either so your activities including a sensory bin that helped my kids a lot because the sensory bins allowed me to step back and my child was like "Ooh, what's this and then that's when I was able to like you know run a load of laundry or wash some dishes because they were curious about it so does it matter what's in their environment on in in your opinion
0: yeah, I think it does matter what's in the environment. So my third born was, is my child that was born with really without the ability to play independently. And mm-hmm. though I structured my home and he had great models and his older siblings who are phenomenal at playing by himself, this is something that did not come easily to him. And this was something that we had to really work on. And things that I noticed that helped him back in the early years as we were really trying to grow this skill and grow it intentionally was he was very overwhelmed by the number of toys that he was seeing. And when he would get overwhelmed by the number of toys, then it was too many choices. He was overstimulated and no, nope, he's not going to play then. Then he's just kind of given up on this idea because I can't find anything to play. There's too many ideas and now I'm going to walk away from it. And then he'd show up and say, I'm bored. And it's like, well, <laughs> you're you're not bored. <laughs> you just had a hard time finding a choice of what mm. to do. Mm. But sure. Okay. And so what I ended up having to do for him was to really pare down the toys that were available in his room environment and really limit what he had available. And I that was not something I'd ever had to do with my other kids. They could find what they needed and be on their merry way. He needed limited choices. Hmm. He also needed choices that he could absolutely do on his own. If there was something in his room that he needed an adult or an older child's help on, guarantee that's what he was going to pick. And then he was going to (laughs) come find one of us to make it work for him. So we had to really (laughs) eliminate all of those Hmm. from his environment. And we took away the toys that were maybe they were too old or too young for him. And we'd been saving them because, you know, he's the baby. So we just everything ended up in his room or they were toys that were way too developmentally old for him or or they had missing parts or, you know, they just weren't working quite right. We really pared down for him. There is no right answer or wrong answer for how many toys you have with your child. This was a great example of it very personal to each child, what each child can handle. And so for him, it was about paring down, about making sure he wasn't overwhelmed by his choices, that he could find his choices. Because if I had something in a bot bin, like one of those target bins that they then can't see what's inside of it, oh, yeah. that toy oh, yeah. might as well not exist to him. If it was not out on a shelf where he could see it. Then he would just walk right past it. And again, then he's walked right past it. I have nothing to play with. I'm bored. (laughs) No, (laughs) you just need to open up this bin. So then I learned I have to move these kind of toys around Mm -hmm. and leave them out or have clear bins or different ways that he can really see and, and find his play in a very specific way. Again, that I didn't Mm -hmm. have to do with my other kids. And then going back to the sensory bin conversation for him that was the key to independent play when he was little from about 12 months old on i really worked with him on sensory bins and there was something about that being this very limited choice of something to do that he could do and then he knew he was successful at it he knew he was happy doing it it was engaging to him and frankly he it was in our kitchen so he i was always within eyesight of him and i think that that a lot of times when we think about independent play with children we imagine ourselves in a completely different space in the house and that will work for some kids and it won't work for others. And it never worked for him. His umbilical cord does not stretch that far. So him being kind of in my kitchen area, he could kind of spin around and see me anywhere that I was working at. And that was comforting to him. And that allowed him to stay safe and to continue playing then on his own and to and to build those skills to where now he's five and we're better. <laughs> we're much better.
1: <laughs> I've noticed a similarity with what you said with babies, though, in terms of noticing. So it doesn't matter if your child is two months old or five years old. You have to notice, you know, what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And, and you really, every child is different. So the, the advice that you're giving today, like you said, we really have to look at the child and see what works best. If they need to be in our room, if, you know, some might be better at all of this that we're talking about. Right. So it's it's really yeah. important that we take the time to discover what's best for our own child.
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes we want to put a one size fits all, especially in child development on something and say, well, this is, you know, this is best practice. So this is it. This is where all kids should be. And, And that's not true. And that's not going to be true. Kids have such a variety of needs that we must be willing to look at it as just kind of a baseline and then work our way up, down, left and right to fit each child in our family. If you have multiple kids to be able to look and say, you know, this worked for this kid, it does not work. And it, yeah. it then that's okay. If it doesn't work, mm. It it really is okay. It's not a condemnation on that kid because it didn't work for them or they need something a little bit different. It's just, they need it a little bit different. And mm. it is what it is.
1: What would you say to a parent who has a child who's a little bit older, maybe between you know five and seven, who, who struggles with that boredom? And as a parent, perhaps they've been using screen time to kind of fill that void. How do we step back from that and reintroduce this new world now of I want you to be bored? <laughs> how, how does a parent do that?
0: I think first you have to reframe your use of screen time and I think you have to reclaim it because Mm -hmm. when a child ends up using screen time to fill their boredom, that means the child owns the screen time and they're using it as a tool to help themselves. And what I preach and what I practice at my house is that screens are a tool for parents and they're a tool for us to use when we need help. They're not a decision for the child to decide when the child needs or wants mm-hmm. screen time, because frankly they might choose it the entire day and, yeah. <laughs> and we really We really lost control. (laughs) So instead, what I would look at doing is starting screen time to be a predictable schedule. That these are the times of day when it is absolutely available. It will always be available. You can count on this like clockwork. It will be available. In my house for my kids, that's around breakfast time when I'm cooking breakfast and trying to start our morning and like reprogram my day. They get their 30 minutes then. And then in the late afternoon, kind of after that nap time, rest time, quiet time, my kids get another dose of it in the afternoon. And again, it's a very predictable schedule. They know when it's coming. They don't have to worry it's not going to come because I've built that trust Mm -hmm. with them that they know it will absolutely come at those two times. And because of that, then they don't feel the need to ask for it throughout the day because they know the answer will be no. And they also know when the routine is. They know when to expect Mm -hmm. it. If that is something that you're struggling with at your house and your child is coming to you constantly throughout the day, can I just do screen time now I'm bored? I would really encourage you to set that boundary Mm -hmm. to start today, find your time or times throughout the day that you do need screen time and it will be comfortable for you. and It is something you can give your child and then pull it away at the other times. They need a predictable routine. They need to know when it's going to start and when it's going to stop and that they can count on that because they need to also then know that it's not a fallback option later in the day, Mm. that this is not something that I can decide around lunchtime. I'm suddenly, I'm really bored. I I just would like to have my tablet back. Well, Mm. no, it's not available right now. And we look at it the same way. Maybe we would look at, you know, if they asked to to eat bread all day or if they wanted to (laughs) eat candy all day it's the same kind of thing. We yeah. we have no problem putting a limitation around it in a lot of other things in parenting. And so we can do the same thing with screen time and you know play begets play. And so the more a child can play and the more that they can get used to that play and used to the fact that the tablet isn't going to come rescue you and take away this feeling that you're having right now, the better because yeah. really especially as they get older, they need to learn to be able to sit with that boredom because frankly, as we know, there's a lot of boring times at school. And when we get into that (laughs) school age, they have to have that skill. They have to have that ability to handle and sit with boredom. They have to be able to, It, it becomes very crucial to their existence in the elementary, middle and high school life.
1: This is exactly what led to my posts on boredom. I was listening to the audiobook of uh, Atomic Habits, and near the end of the book, he talks about um intrinsic motivation and how you know I think they were comparing athletes and the ones that did well were the ones that were able to motivate themselves past that boredom of that plateau like i 'm not getting any better, but you know I need to keep and in- keep you know running every day or whatever it is. but they were talking about that, and that made me think of school where we have to kind of you know push through the boring subjects or the boring moments and ex- I'm so happy that you brought that up because we don't think about the impact that this could have including intrinsic motivation so when I had when I've dealt with parents who have school age children they'll say like how do I get them to be motivated right without the external factors but it starts very young and and when you're bored and a child is sitting there and sees something and says oh I wonder I wonder what that would do if I kind of built a tower, if I put those two things together. It's child-led, an idea, and they've, you know, done whatever they thought of and created something, and that's internal motivation.
0: Yeah, and that and that's really what we want to get kids at, because mm. as they get older and, and school gets more challenging... Mm they have to be able to keep themselves motivated. And something that parents end up doing a lot of times is we equate boredom with intelligence. And we mm-hmm. say, well, my child's bored in school because you know I think that you know school's really easy for yeah, them. True. And I think what we need to understand a little bit more is that boredom happens on both sides of the coin. You can be bored when something is too easy and you can be bored when something is too hard. True. Mm-hmm. And that boredom isn't necessarily caused by... The level that the child is at, it might just be the level that the activity is at. Mm. And as kids understand boredom when they're younger and they bring that into the school time, they really are able to handle that and either get their needs met Mm. by saying, hey, this is too easy or, hey, this is too hard. I have a lot of questions because I'm not able to do this. And again, that becomes that intrinsic motivation. Mm. Are they, do they want to get better? Do they want to better themselves? Do they want to solve this problem? Whether the problem is too easy or too hard, mm. but it really does all go back to this understanding that it's okay to be bored, that bored is a fine emotion to have. And we have to see it as an opportunity mm. to start something new and start something exciting and to, to work within ourselves to cope, mm. to, to cope with it.
1: I think back to when my kids were young and we were sitting at the doctor's office and we had a lot of parents around us that had their babies and were like looking at screens. And, you know, I guess sometimes, you know, you don't want your child to cry. You're in a, you know, public area but we would walk around and look at either if they had paintings on the wall or we would sit there and people watch. Now, I don't know if people watching is something I like to do because my husband's Italian and, you know, they just, people watch watch all day. Like when we visited Italy, it's so fun. You're bored. You're not doing anything. There's no purpose to what you're doing. Um, but you know, having that child in that situation, is really nice because now they're able to just sit there. And of course, now they're getting older. And sometimes they'll say, you know, I'm bored in the car ride. But then I'll say, what can you do with that boredom? Can you play Simon Says together? Can you play I Spy? I wonder if, you know, giving them the ideas, is that something you would recommend? Or do you just tell them, like, deal with it?
0: (laughs) Well, first of all, I love the way you phrase that. What can you do with that boredom? Mm. Because that just makes it sound so empowering. Like, Mm. you're right. You are bored. What are you going to do with that? Like, where do we go from here? For me, if my kids come to me and say they're bored, instead of dismissing the emotion, because it is, it's, it's frustrating to be bored. Nobody likes the feeling of bored. I was in an orthodontist appointment with my son the other day. I didn't bring, remember a book. There's no magazines in the waiting room. It started to go on longer than I expected. My phone internet wasn't working. And all I could do was text. And I texted my best friend and I said, I'm at the orthodontist and I'm bored. Entertain me. And she <laughs> wrote back, no, you have to sit with this. And I just laugh because, you know, it's kind of like what we'll say to kids. Yeah. But so what I like to do with my kids, if they come to me and say, I- I'm bored, I honor that emotion. Wow, you're mm-hmm. bored. Okay. Let me help you really quick to find what we can do. And I think the key is really quick because I'm not going to make attention seeking part of the answer to boredom. I'm going to really quickly toss out a couple of ideas and then go right back to what I'm doing. Oh, wow, you're bored you are welcome to go outside. You're welcome to color right now. Um, you're welcome to do the dishes with me. <laughs> Maybe someone <laughs> will leave me up on that. You know, you're welcome to, uh, you know, head to the sensory bin. Let me know what you choose. And then I turn around and I always end it with that. Let me know what you choose. Mm-hmm. And and I just kind of walk away and I, and I leave it at that. And Sometimes what they'll choose at, at a young age is maybe to just sit on the floor and stare at you. All right. Well, that's what you chose to do. I'm going to go back to doing the dishes, which you said no to helping. <laughs> but my goal always with that is, again, to just remind them, give a few quick ideas, not get sucked into the trap of where I'm trying to like overly entertain them or... um give them all this attention Mm -hmm. based on the words I'm bored because I don't want them to then be like, well, I'm bored. I'm going to go talk to mom. And now she'll give me like a 20 minute conversation and that'll satisfy me. (laughs) I just want to give them a few quick ideas to help them redirect. And I'm going to say it's 50, 50 on when they'll take one of the suggestions or they just walk away from me and go do something else because I did not give them anything they were interested in. Mm -hmm. They always go and find something else. And that also just has to do with the culture of our family and this idea that there's plenty to do, you have stuff to do. You're just maybe a little lost or a little confused on what to do. I'm happy to help you to, you know, spin around the house really quick and take a, a quick inventory of what we have. Something's going to spark your interest. Mm. Worst case scenario, sit on the floor and watch me finish the dishes <laughs> or help. Yeah, please. Please. Help.
1: please exactly. <laughs> so many kids, so many dishes. <laughs> My dishwasher broke the other day and I was like, "No, no, no, this can't happen." No. I can't, no. <laughs> you know, I I um I'm thinking of some emails I've I've received from parents who are single parents and they have guilt around the fact that mm-hmm. they might tell their child, "Go play or it's okay to be bored." Have you experienced the same thing and and what would you give them as advice?
0: Yeah, and I think the same thing happens with parents with an only child. They we get very wrapped up in in making sure that the parent is the yes. the play, you know, the playmaker, the play friend. And it, it is always okay. And it is always great for a child to play independently. And it is always good. Whether the child has siblings, doesn't have siblings, has a parent, has two parents. Children need alone time. They need to play inde- independently. We know this from countless years and, and uh, millions of studies on child development that they need play without adults. So we have to get into a point with our lives that we can kind of release that guilt. It is okay if you are a single parent. It is okay if your child is an only child for them to go play alone or to be bored or to figure something out. No matter if that child has two parents or has a sibling or not, Mm. that child has work they need to do playing and you have work you need to do as their parent caregiver. Mm. And we can't have you taking the burden of their play onto your already unbelievably full plate. So that is something that you can push off of it, let them handle play, and then come back together for what I call connection time activities, puzzles, board games, walks around the block, cooking together, having deep conversations. But play really is something that all parents from all walks of households can say, it is okay for me to say no to, to playing with you right now. I have things I have to do. Your job is to play. My job is 500 other things to make this family and our life run smoothly mm. and we'll come together when we're both done with our jobs and i just think it is it is really such a fallacy that parents have to take on that role of of play friend with their with their kids when we just we know through every bit of research mm. that kids thrive mm. in situations where they're playing independently and it really is just one of those, I know, I know it is so hard and it is so much easier for me to sit here and say it to you than it is to put it in practice. Yeah. But the next time you have to say no to your child for play, take a deep breath and say, I'm saying no to play because it is what's best for them and what's best for me right now. And that is okay. Mm. That is beyond okay.
1: And we could schedule it in the same way that we can schedule the screen time, right? And it doesn't have to be an hour. It could be 10 minutes after dinner or 10 minutes before dinner if you want that time to step away. Um, But just planning that, I find, makes a really big difference because your child feels more connected to you. And I love that you use that word. And then it makes it a little bit easier to step away um, in that moment. And you don't have guilt either.
0: Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. having play is a routine time. You know, if you have mm-hmm. play every day after breakfast and mm-hmm. every day after dinner while I'm doing the dishes mm-hmm. is your 15, 20 minutes of play by yourself time. I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. And that also helps the child to get into a habit of after dinner each night, my parent goes to do the dishes and I go to my room to play. And it's mm-hmm. this little break time. And then you come back together and you have your connection time. And mm-hmm. and, and there's such beauty in that. There's such beauty in routine with children. There's, there's so much goodness in there alone. Mm-hmm that I think we can really apply it to to their play.
1: There was a study that I mentioned last week, and I thought it was interesting to look at neurodivergent children. Um, the one that I looked at, I think it was with uh, autistic children, I think, or ADHD, actually, I forget. I have to, I'll have, i have the link in the bio for everybody who's listening. But the the study mentioned that These children might look for risky behaviors or, you know, Mm -hmm. some sensory seeking behavior if they're bored. This reminded me that not every child will deal with boredom the same way. How can a parent navigate that?
0: Yeah, I loved that Mm -hmm. when you added that into that post. And I actually that was on my list of things this weekend Mm -hmm. to look back through was that that Mm -hmm. study. I thought that was so fascinating and such a great reminder to parents. Again, going back to what we talked about, that this is not a one size fits all. It's whatever size fits your child.
1: Yeah. And I think it's it's really important to mention that because I know, again, it comes back to some parents feeling like they might have failed at parenting or they're doing something wrong because their child is not thriving for, you know, when it comes to boredom and they're not, it's more than whining. They're looking to, you know, fill this void through risky things. So I I just want to make sure that we mentioned that. I'd love to continue or end this conversation and talk a little bit more about play since that's your, your, your area. And I think with what we, we were talking about in boredom, play comes into it. You started our conversation with child-led and perhaps there are some parents who don't understand what this means and have this understanding that play means we have to sit there with them or, you know, they have to be filled with toys, you know, around them. So what is child-led play and, and, and how does a parent do this?
0: So child-led play, what we think about in education, we talk about Mm. unstructured, independent free play. It's such a (laughs) mouthful, unstructured, independent free play. And that means that it is play of the child's own will, independent of adults and unstructured with no Mm. predetermined outcome. We're letting the child completely decide what they want to do. If I come to my child with my post-it note activity and I've got everything written on the wall and I say, here you go, here's some post-it notes, you're going to match it up to these letters. That's a structured play activity. It's great. It has lots of value, but it's a structured play activity. If I put down a bin of blocks in front of my child and say, I'm going to go unload the dishwasher, have a great time with these blocks. And then they start building and making castles and all these things. That's unstructured, independent, free time, free play. And and that really is where the magic happens in, in childhood is this idea that kids do better. They learn more. And they learn it more deeply. If an adult isn't playing with them, we know that adults, though with the best of intentions, we accidentally change Mm -hmm. play. We make it less intrinsic. We take away a little bit of the child's free will because they might not feel as comfortable ending the play Mm -hmm. because they don't want to hurt our feelings. And those little tiny tweaks that happen in play, they lean on us for problem solving. They wait for us to rotate the puzzle piece. Those little tiny tweaks that we accidentally make to play they really do have an impact when we combine them over long periods of time. And we talk about that. This is how every single play Mm -hmm. moment happens for this child. So instead, what we want to do is we want to breed this culture in our family that we value a child's unstructured and independent free play, that we value what the child can do and how the child can lead themselves into their own way. As adults, it means hanging back. I always call it sittervising <laughs> We can sit and supervise from a seated position and watch the magic unfold. And when you're sitting or you're working or you're doing chores and you're seeing your child play I hope, you know, that, that is the most significant and important work that your child can be doing at that moment. And again, mm-hmm. going back to this guilt that we often feel when we remove ourselves from our children's play, mm-hmm. we don't need to feel that instead we can look and go, Oh my gosh, look at what they're learning. Oh, <laughs> look what they're doing their Their brain is working so hard right now as we're un- you know, unloading <laughs> the dishwasher, folding the laundry or answering a work email. There is so much beauty and so much goodness that comes out of a child leading their own play activity that just can't be replicated when adults are playing with. So as you can, and as you grow this skill, the more that you can back yourself out of play, please know you are doing so much good. I am sure
1: a bunch of parents listening to this right now, just kind of like exhaled (laughs) And, and like, you just like let all that guilt, like leave them because I do know that lots of parents have this guilt. Um, I, I also think, I, you yeah. know, I, I had met a friend of mine who she had bought all these toys and then her two-year-old wasn't playing with them the way that she was supposed to, which is how she worded it. And I thought that was interesting because I said, well, how is there a right or wrong way to play if that's the way the child wants to play with it, right? <laughs> so I think it was a board game for two or three-year-olds and the child was removing the pieces and playing with the little figurines and but was entertained for 20 minutes doing the wrong thing, according to the parent. How do you how do you approach that? I don't know if you receive those emails as well or speak to those parents. But that's my answer is there's how is there a wrong way to play? But it might not be the way that we want them to. And it comes back to what you were saying in terms of us kind of taking control without realizing.
0: Yeah. And I think it also goes back to the very beginning when we were talking that as parents, we want to we want to be the drivers. Mm-hmm. And in play, we really not even, we don't, we can't, we don't even need to be the co-driver. we need to be in the backseat, like way, maybe even off the vehicle, <laughs> as we just watch them, which is really it's hard. hard. It's yes. really hard in parenting. We, we want to make sure they're eating the right foods and that they're, you know, listening to the right stories and that they're, you know, having the right experiences. And then when it comes to play, we really have to say, well, here are your tools go for it and and we have to let go we we mm-hmm. have to i think it's very important that we do recognize that toys are the tools for play and that we are the gatekeepers of those toys and those tools and to think thoughtfully about what we bring in our home mm-hmm. thinking thoughtfully about toys doesn't mean expensive. Um, a toy's value is not Mm -hmm. determined by its cost. Mm -hmm. It's determined by whether or not the child likes it and whether or not the child can find value in it. My kids have this horrible toy that I I can't even tell you how much I hate this toy. It (laughs) kind of talks and grows and it makes weird noises and, and they scratch it. But I I can't even describe this toy. my brother gave it to them. They love this toy and the joy and the play that that toy has brought them in the last three years. I wanted to vomit when <laughs> that toy came into my home. And I began immediately thinking about how do I get that toy out of my home? And here we are three years later. And the other day, it really did look like it had finally broken. And my husband looked at me. and He goes, I'm really sad. And I said, I'm really sad, too. Someone needs to fix this. And we got it fixed. And, you know, it's, it's back to working. But. It just really goes to show that we can't decide what the children are going to like to play with, and we can't decide how they're going to play with it. Mm -hmm. What we want to make sure is that they have tools for their play, they have opportunities to play, and that we're standing back and letting it happen no matter Mm -hmm. if it drives us (laughs) bonkers (laughs) or not, as long as they're safe. Yes, exactly. We're, We're good.
1: I'm so happy you brought that up. You know, something I try to tell parents is try to avoid battery-operated toys as much as you can. But then there's an asterisk around, you know, under that. And it's, if your child enjoys it, then it's fine. You know, you don't want to... And for me, it's just to have, you know... For parents to understand that you want to have a lot of open-ended toys and not just toys that you press buttons, but like you said, there's never a like a one rule for everything. And right. a child, we have this caterpillar that you press the button and it does all these weird things and goes to the left and goes to the right. And my toddler loves it. He does, and I hate the sound, the noise, the songs, every beep 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 beep. That I don't like them. I just don't. But he loves it. And what can we do? We can't change it. Um, no. So these there aren't any rules when it comes to play. And I think also because of marketing and, and society, again, like we've kind of become accustomed to the idea that the more expensive the toy is, perhaps the better it is for a child. Mm-hmm. But you, they're going to hate us. They're going to hate me. But it's not true. I always tell no. parents the best toys are probably what you already have within your home. You know, you know a bowl and a wooden spoon and some dried beans. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You're done. You have it all. A measuring cup and you're done.
0: The best toys um, are what I you remember you. playing with. They are. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think marketers have done such a great job preying on the fears of parents. Mm-hmm. They, they slap the word learning. They slap the word educational. educational. They, they tell you, you need this toy or your child is going to fail to succeed and fail to thrive. And that becomes very scary for us. I mean, they're very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. We have to be smarter than that. We have to look at that and go, yeah, because they're trying to sell it to me. Of course, Mm -hmm. they're going to tell me that. Have you ever seen a set of wooden blocks have to tell anybody that how great they are? No, we know (laughs) how great wooden blocks are. We all have them in our childhood. We know how great Mm -hmm. wooden trains are or, you know, Lego Duplos. We know Mm -hmm. how great these toys are because we grew up with them and they're the toys from our memories. Mm And the toys from our memories are a lot of the best toys for our kids because they were the same toys our parents had. These are the mm-hmm. toys that have that have stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. I think it's just marketers and these companies, they do such a great job of, of preying on our fears that our kids are, are going to fail. And that if we're mm-hmm. not, again, driving their learning and driving their education and driving the way that they play, that we're, they're not going to drive it in the right direction. And yeah. it's actually really far from the truth because... They're just trying to take advantage of us and take advantage of our money. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to give us toys that really aren't going to last for very long or are going to have a really short shelf life in your home. And then you're back a couple of months later trying to buy a new toy to to do the same thing that maybe could have been accomplished for years and years and years with a really simple, simple toy that, that you remember from when you were a kid.
1: Another group of parents that just exhale down. Now, knowing that they don't have to buy all these expensive toys, but yeah. it's true, you know, and, and I think what what's important is, so the, for those of you who are listening, there was a previous episode for this podcast on educational toys. And I summarized this study in the Journal of Pediatrics that this defines a, uh, an educational toy and mentions that I think it was like 80% of toys or even more than that um, don't meet the actual definition of an educational toy, which is... <laughs> an object or item that increases the interaction between the parent and the child. And, you know, then I I, I see all these, like, <laughs> these companies and they press a button and they're like, it sings and it flashes red, blue and whatever color. And that's the educational part. And I'm like, no, that's not it at all. Um, But this whole idea of play, and I'm so happy we're having this conversation, um, because like you said, like, I just, I learned so much about play through you. And then I would look into the research and say like, oh, this, it, it fits. <laughs> Everything that Susie's doing fits. It makes sense. And we have to learn to step back. And that's where the boredom is going to come in. That's where all the growing and the learning will happen. Um, and I, I just absolutely loved our conversation. I did can too. we um, end off our conversation? I always like to kind of summarize things for parents so that they have a game plan. What would you say to a parent who's, you know, who listened to this episode and they're like, oh, OK, hold on a second. I need to <laughs> I need to like rethink how I'm doing this in my home, regardless of the child's age. How can what's the game plan right now that they can start off with?
0: I think one of the big game plans would be to look at your daily schedule and see how much time the child has to just be free. How much free time does the child have and where could you schedule that free? It's kind of an oxymoron to have scheduling yeah. free play. Where could you schedule free time into, yeah. their, into their daily routine? Where could you make and normalize this idea that you're going to play without the adult's intervention? And then the next thing would be, again what I just said, make sure that you're letting them play without your intervention and that you're taking a deep breath and remembering that that's actually a good thing. They don't need to be playing with you all the time. And frankly, they shouldn't be playing with you the whole time. And it really is okay to to take that step back. And then to when a child comes to you and says they're bored, look at it as an opportunity ask them what they're going to do with that boredom and maybe give them three to four ideas of what they could do and then quickly go back to what you're doing so that you're not stuck in that boredom trap with them. Mm. And then the other piece would be to really consider the screen time piece of it. And where is screen time fitting in in all this? Is screen time become what we're using as a boredom buster? My Mm -hmm. most hated term, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) is it become that? And if it has, let's pull back a little. Let's make Mm -hmm. screen time back to a parenting tool, not a child tool and let's put it into a that. predictable schedule so the child knows when they're going to expect it and then then they're not using it as something to overcome boredom but instead mm-hmm. they're using their own sense of resilience and problem solving and their own beautiful mind and and to to give themselves so many opportunities so many
1: what a wonderful way to end this conversation. Thank you, Susie, for taking this moment to, to chat with me. And you could visit her on Instagram at Busy Toddler, B-U-S-Y-T-O-D-D-L-E-R, and visit her website, BusyToddler.com. Right now, she has her summer activity list for toddlers that you could download for free. I've used it past summers, and it really helps because you don't have to do the thinking part. You could just download it, and there are your activities <laughs> set out for the day or the week. Thank you to everybody who was listening. If you would like to leave a rating interview for the podcast, please do so. And you can join us next Monday for a new episode. Thank you so much, Susie.
0: Of course.